This week on Physio Foundations, I'm talking to Luke Nelson, aka Sports Cairo Luke, about the pathway he's been on from new grad practitioner to highly experienced sports chiropractor and then a leader within his profession. Welcome to the Physio Foundations podcast for another week, a podcast about the knowledge and skills that provide the foundation of expert clinical practice. I'm your host, Luke Periton from Monash Uni Physio and from Periton Physio. And this week I'm talking to another Luke, Dr. Luke Nelson. So Luke's a sports chiropractor and he has a special interest in helping people manage running and golf-related injuries. He's really active in the Australian sports rehab and the sports medicine community. And you may have heard him before from many other podcasts he's been on and presentations. Um, Luke holds a number of board positions, including on Sports Chiropractic Australia and Sports Medicine Australia. And Susanna and I met Luke at one of the Sports Medicine Australia conferences years ago, and we see him all the time on presenting at Sports Medicine um, to professional development events on social media. So he's very active there. And he loves talking about running and that's a mutual interest of ours. So we're going to get into that. I really want to, in this first episode, to talk to Luke about his background and his professional development, the pathway he's walked uh, and his tips for developing as a practitioner. And then we're in the second part of the conversation, we're going to get into a conversation about running. So Luke Nelson, welcome to Physio Foundations. Thanks very much for having me on, Luke. It's uh, yes, it's been a while back when we uh, when we first met at a sports medicine Australia conference. I think it was up in in Canberra. We were sitting up to, uh, next to each other in a, in a bus on the way to the AIS there to uh, to check that out. And um, obviously, yeah, common interest in, in running that was uh, easy for us to to talk about. And that's I think that's pretty much the excuse for for getting me on, really, isn't it? To uh, just so that you can talk about running. I realised Matt Matt last week was also another another runner. So uh, yeah, it's probably not a bad way that uh, Susanna doesn't have to uh, to hear about it when you uh, when you got guests like myself to uh, to talk about running <laughs> oh Susanna does a lot of running herself she she loves it too but yeah it, it's great it's great to have those mutual interests and um and it's mm. also really good when they cross over you know your personal interests cross over from your, your personal development to your professional development which is one of the themes of this podcast so look before we go there before we talk in depth about running in, in part two of course we're dividing these up into parts to make them more digestible for the commuter you keep them to 20, 30 minutes, but we're going to talk about running and the specifics of, you know, how you manage and help people managing running injuries. But let's take people back to the beginning and talk about you. So can you tell everyone a little bit about yourself, uh, your background, your interests and where you practice? Yeah, well, it's, uh, as you mentioned, uh, chiropractor and interest in, in sports. I, I uh, graduated all the way back in 2003, so it seems like a long time ago now. It's almost coming up to up to 20 years, so it makes me feel very old. Um, but uh, I, um, when I graduated from RMIT, uh, chiropractic being a, a five-year course back then, and I, I soon realised that um, pretty much after after graduation that, that sports was my, was my thing that I was really interested in. Uh, I was always quite active when I was younger and played a lot of sports and never really excelled in anything, but but sort of loved it, loved to be active, and and uh, and so I just sort of found myself, um, yeah, getting more and more involved in that in that area. And I think the other thing that that I, I found was that I, I've always had a, a thirst for knowledge, and uh, I found that once I one of the first um, uh, sports sort of medicine seminars that I attended, and just all this new information, I'm like wow, this is amazing! I've got to immerse myself in this, and and so um, yeah, very quickly sort of fell in fell in love with that, and then just sort of gradually over over time. 
done more and more things, including some postgraduate study in in, uh, in sports chiropractic, and then also did my, my masters in sports science as well. Uh, and then yeah, just just continuing to to learn over that over that time. So certainly found found myself, you know, that I guess that how I practiced, um, you know, morphing over time as, as I'd learned more and, and uh, yeah, it's been, it's been a, a really, uh, really fun journey and, and uh, one which, you know, when talking on podcasts like this, it's, it's, it's fun to sort of look back and reflect and, and see where you, where you've come from and, and how things have changed in that, in that time. So you've, you mean, you've got a lot of postgraduate qualifications, you've done a lot of professional development, but you, you know, you mentioned having a thirst for knowledge. Mm. So that's fundamental, isn't it? To to mm. be thirsty for knowledge, to be curious, to, yep. you know, to feed that, um, you know, that thirst for knowledge with everything you're doing. So what yes. about um, since then? So 19 years since graduating, you've, you've done yeah. a lot of stuff. Um, mm. And we'll, we'll get into your clinical expertise and interests and sort of talk about, um, you know, how you help people with injuries and your philosophies and approaches to, to working as a sports chiro. So I'm a, I've got a sports physio postgraduate qualification. I studied 20, finished my undergrad 20 years ago as well. Um, how does sports chiro differ from sports physiotherapy, sports physiotherapy? And um, everyone always asks the, the same question. What mm. are the differences between yeah. chiropractors and physios? Let's, let's ask the opposite question. Mm. How are we similar? Yes. Well, and that is, and, it, it's a question, question I get asked all the time. If it's not from, from other health practitioners, it's, uh, it's from, from uh, patients and, and clients that are asking the same thing. It's like, what's the difference between this, this and this? And I think what we're finding is that, um, you know, traditionally, if we look back in the, in the past, and it probably was around the time that, that uh, you know, I did graduate around that 20 years ago, um, the, 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 pro- the professions probably were in a bit of their silos where you had, you know, had chiro, you had osteo, you had physio, and then it was, you know, this versus this. It, uh, and, and chiro traditionally being concerned about around the spine, so looking at, you know, spinal issues like back pain, neck pain, and headaches and that sort of thing. And then physio was more sort of, you know, things outside of that. But what we found over time is that that's, um, those, thankfully, those silos are being broken down and there is a lot more uh, blurring between the professions. And I think that that comes off the back of a lot of the continuing education events now uh, are, are multidisciplinary. So we're seeing, you know, they're seeing chiros and physios and osteos and podiatrists all in the same strength and conditioning, you know, coaches all in the same room learning all of the same material. And then what then happens, therefore, is if we're all learning the same stuff, then, you know, what we're implementing with our patients then starts to look, look quite similar. So, uh, and that ultimately is the benefit for the patient because it means that they're getting the most, you know, up-to-date evidence-based care, but it does mean that there is a, you know, it's like, well, you're actually looking very similar. And I don't believe that that no one profession owns a particular type of treatment approach. Like, it's not like, oh, you know, I've had people say to me, oh, you, you practice like a physio. I'm like, well, what does that mean? Does that mean that, you know, I, I'm implementing this and, you know, I'm doing rehab and, and that's, and, and, you know, whether they're, so, you know, taking into account soft tissue and, and uh, it's it's like, well, that's just what, you know, best evidence, best, you know, best evidence based care should should be. So um, I think that, yeah, it is it is getting a lot more blurred over uh, over time. And uh, but I think that's that's a good thing. Um, you know, we don't need to have, you know, we don't need to have a point of difference of a, you know, chiro versus a physio. It's like, a, you know, people will sort of say, oh, should I see, you know, who should I see for this? It's like, well, it comes down to the practitioner. You know, really, it comes down to to what that practitioner is 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 competent and, and confident in dealing with. Um, if it's a, you 
know, if someone's got a particular shoulder problem and, you know, I think, well, that's better handled by this certain person, then, then off, they, off they go to that. So it comes down to more sort of specialties that way rather than looking rather than looking at titles. And, and that's really, you know, when I'm looking in, in my sort of referral-based network, I'm looking at not, not necessarily what the, what's in front of their name. It's more like, well, this person's good at dealing with that, that person's good at dealing with that. And I think that's sort of the, the future of healthcare is it's less about titles and more about the, uh, the proficiency and knowledge base of the, uh, the individual practitioner. Mm, that's so important. I'm really glad we went there because it's a question that people are going to have mm. when we're talking about you know, introducing you as a sports chiropractor and this, you know, this podcast is called Physio Foundations. But mm. you know, what you've said there is the patient comes first. You know, it's it's mm. not about your title. It's not about yeah. your training. And by the way, that was 20 years ago for us. Mm. And hopefully <laughs> whatever we've done you know, you know, in back in the late nineties, we've been trained at for our foundational yes. training has changed significantly since then. Yes, yes it has. Anyway, <laughs> so, um, so to, to tell us though about the experience of that, because it strikes mm. me that you're quite forthright with, you know, going to all of the multidisciplinary mm. sports medicine, Australia conferences, yeah. for example, yeah. and just, um, focusing on the research that's being presented there. Yep. And um, in the process of doing that, have you do you feel like you've broken down? You've been you're helping to break down those interprofessional barriers, or is it just something that's evolved and you've been a part of it? Uh, I'd like to I'd like to think that's both. I'd like to think that I'm you know I'm helping in some way, but I'm I'm uh, not naive or uh, <laughs> or arrogant enough to think that it's me that's, that's driving it. I mean, I, I you know I stand on the shoulders of, of giants and people that have come before me as well. So you know, one of my mentors, um, Pete Garbett, who's who's been involved with SMA for quite a while and and uh, and headed up the uh, the ACT chair for um, uh, president of the ACT for a number of years. You know, he was someone that I always looked up to and, and learned a lot. Uh, learned a lot in my time and and um he had, had done a lot of great work as well as others in that in that space as well too so i think i've just been you know carrying on from from what others have, have done before me um I, I i sort of laugh and reflect back and you know in occasions like this when i first started going to sma events or you know i remember the, my first sma victoria event that i went to and i was the only chiropractor there um there was a couple of osteos that i knew but the rest predominantly physios and i remember um chatting to a physio during the lunch break and i kind of remember who it was but um chatting to them and they, they sort of said oh well, how would you use this and it's like well how would you use it like you know it's the, the same thing like we're, we're, we're taking information we're, we're applying it but their their sort of understanding of chiropractic at that point was i think it, you know it could have been a, a shoulder i can't even remember what, what particular talk it was after but say it was a shoulder and they're like well how would you use it you know what would you what would you see there so so i think there was that thankfully that that um that doesn't happen anymore um you know people don't don't question oh yeah there's a car there. It's just like well there's a car there's an osteo there you know everyone's just just learning the same thing so it definitely has changed a lot over the last you know the last 15 to 20 years um and uh and that, that's that's great i mean how much role i'm playing that I, I i don't know but um but like i said it's, it's certainly one of the things that um um that i um you know i'd love to see in in our profession is is the the integration and um you know being part of the being part of the team the multidisciplinary team they're playing playing our role when it's when it's needed and and uh yeah it's, it's you know i'm happy happy to report that that everything i've seen in the last you know in, in recent times has, has been moving towards that um moving towards that 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 um uh, communication better communication and, and cooperation between the professions now that, that's so important i'm really um I'm really glad I asked you that actually it's, it's really mm -hmm. nice to see, get your perspective on that so let's talk about what we do and um, the foundational knowledge and skills that we use to help people with running injuries. And then we'll segue into running injuries 
and talk about running the fun stuff. Um, so yes. I, I've just, I was just before we press record, I was just telling you, I've just come back from, so t- you know, academic at Monash uni at um, physiotherapy. I was just teaching, um, at Clayton in the nice new facility there and helping the students understand the gluteal region. And we're talking mm-hmm. about the, um, you know, reflecting on what it's like to learn anatomy and then, you know, and then forget it all again and then come back yeah. and try to relearn it and forget it again <laughs> yeah. and relearn it. Yes. Lifelong process. So if you're a student <laughs> listening to this and you think, Hey, um, gee, I, I can't remember all this stuff. Anatomy is vast and it's, um, yes. it's not, it's not easy. And that's the process. <laughs> you just keep layering it up. Yeah. Um, so tell, tell us, so anatomy is one example of foundational knowledge mm, and yep. it's, you know, the structure and the function are so related and that, that's one example of foundational knowledge or, or I'm also interested in skills. It's a very broad question that I ask everyone. Well, yep. I've asked everyone yep. so far. Mm. What do you rate as the most important foundational knowledge and skills that helps you with what you do clinically? Yeah, look, I think, and, and just, you know, as, a, as a, an aside on that, what we were talking about before, it was sort of saying that, you know, as students, you just you just want to get through the course, you know, you just want to get through and, you know, you take it in, but then you soon forget it. And then uh, after then you graduated, you realise, well, actually, you probably did need some of that stuff. And you go back and look at your old textbooks, or you pay to go to courses to learn the same stuff that you, you've been taught at uh, taught at uni. So, so yeah, students, you know, a lot of what you do learn is important, um, but sometimes you don't realise the importance of that until you until you finish. And that includes, like, you know, the, the, the most important, and, and it's been a common theme amongst your, your earlier guests as well too, Luke, with, uh, you know, one of the important skills is communication. Um, really, it, it's just, it's so important and probably something that in our undergraduate study, we only spent, you know, we probably spent a, 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 ter- a semester um, on one topic on communication. Uh, and it was sort of almost given a little bit of lip service, really, in terms of it was just like, oh, okay, you know, you're talking about how to talk to people and, you know, body language and, and that sort of stuff. But it was, it was just sort of like, oh, yeah, let's just get through this. We don't need to know this and, and you know, go on. But as my years have gone on and, and, and you, you realise just the, the importance of, um, you know, learning from mistakes where communication breakdown occurs and things and things go wrong. It's like, yeah, I could have done that a lot better. Um, and then, you know, communication wins when you just, you know, really communicate. You felt like you've had that connection with someone and, and you've been really able to explain them and they just, it just puts them at ease with just simply with what you're, with what you're saying. So um, I think that, yeah, communication can't be, uh, can't be underestimated. And, and I think it's something that, Yes, there's there's certainly skills that can be uh, can be taught, um, but then there's also experience of you know just time in the trenches of, of learning and unfortunately learning learning from mistakes and making sure you learn from those mistakes um, that 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 can happen. Um, you know, one of my favourite sayings is you know we've got we've got two eyes, two ears, and, and one mouth. So you know look and look and hear twice as much as, as what you are, what you talk. Uh, and I think that you know there's that uh, that often quoted study about um, you know interrupting patients. I think it's I think it's like eleven seconds. I think. They, they looked at a study of, of GPs and, and found that, uh, that it only took them 11 seconds to interrupt the patient, um, whereas if they let them go off their own accord, they would usually stop by about two minutes. So, you know, if you let the patient go, just let them tell their story and then you can start to uh, start to chime in there. And I still find myself, you know, I still have to correct myself. It's like, oh, don't jump in, you know, just, uh, just let them let them go. Um, and, uh, and so let them, tell their, let them tell their story. So, you know, a big part of my, my consultations, you know, and even spending, you know, 10 15 even even longer than that minutes with with my patients is is actually in that uh, in that history and just to letting them tell their story and and um and then you know prying out some of the details details from them there so that that's you know like like some of your previous guests have said it's that that communication is is so important because you could be the best 
best skilled and technical clinician and know what's going on. But if you can't explain it to the patient, what's what's you know what's wrong with them and why they need to do the things that you're telling them to, then they're not going to abide. You know, you're not going to they're not going to comply, and and the they won't have a won't, won't be a good outcome. So um, so I think that that's, um, that 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 cannot be uh, cannot be underestimated. So I'm I'm trying to I'm trying to do that exactly that right now, and I, I, that's my, <laughs> been my approach in these podcast interviews. Maybe two minutes is my benchmark if I can time it when I'm doing editing. Did I let Not everyone talk? <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's tempting to jump in because you've got lots of follow up questions. Yeah. But you know, so communication's been this big theme that's come up naturally mm. from people. So you know, and it takes time. Get in the trenches and and learn mm. and um, don't be afraid to make mistakes. But you've got to be reflective if you're going to learn and then look and hear more than you talk and. Trying mm. to interrupt and let people tell their story. I think there were great points that you just made about communication. And, and yeah, and I think one of the things that I, I, I guess, accelerated my learnings in that regard as a student was I spent a lot of time observing practitioners when I was at uh, when I was at uni. So pretty much from my second year right through to my fifth year, and even once I graduated, I was still observing practitioners and not just chiropractors, but I was observing physios and surgeons and and uh, and doctors and and seeing other professions and you know taking away the way that they communicate and, and how they they explain things to people and I probably didn't realize it at the time but I reflect back on that now and think yeah geez I actually learned a lot from that just hearing how the practitioners were speaking to their patients and then you know that that I guess gave me some confidence even though I wasn't technically confident at that time and, and diagnosis I was able to sort of explain things and and uh, I was probably a, a bit ahead of where I where I would be having uh, having done those uh, those observations. Yeah, great, really good information, Luke. Thanks for sharing that with the listeners and with me. Let's mm. talk about running. Yeah, let's let's, let's, <laughs> it's fun. We love it. There's a lot of people out there who love running, and some people who hate it. I mean, but a lot of you know, there's the audience of this podcast is practitioners who are trying to help people with injuries. Running's a really common. Um, cause of injury so what got you interested in helping people with runners in your clinic you you do some specialist running assessments and you um you you see a lot of runners is that a fair summary? Yeah, yeah, yep. it is. Yeah, so I, I see a good, uh, good mix of different sports, but, but running would be would be the predominant um, uh, predominant sport that I see see across, and, and you know a huge uh, vast majority of those being uh, recreational runners. Um, what got me into it? Well, I, I sort of. I, I was always a team sport, so I used to play a lot of basketball when I was when I was younger. And, and uh, but I, I sort of found with the demands of, of practice um, that it just got very hard with late nights of practice, then having to, to you know get to get to games during the week. And so I, I shifted to uh, started shifting to running as a bit of bit of convenience. And and uh, um, I used to run used to actually run when I was uh, when I was uh, run with my dad when I was in high school. And, and I, I remember doing a fifteen hundred, and I was I was rubbish. I was you know near near the end of it. I'm like that's I'm going to get better at that, and so I remember remember running with my dad, and then um, you know got some fitness up there, and just kept playing more basketball, and, and but I didn't actually return to that until yeah, so I started practice and. Um, gradually found myself, you know, I really started to enjoy it and I like the convenience of it and being able to run, you know, when I wanted to and, and you could just slip on a pair of runners and that's one of the great things about running is it's uh, is the convenience factor. Um, and, yeah, got onto that and then started doing some, you know, longer distances. I did my first half marathon and said I'd never do another one of those and uh, then I did a marathon and said I'd never do another one of those uh, and then I did uh, an Ironman triathlon and said I'd never do one of those and each one of those I have since then repeated and, and done 
about it again. So my wife doesn't believe me now, and I'm going to if I'm going to say anything like that. She's uh, she just knows to uh, to ignore that. Um, but uh, you know, here I am, multiple Ironman and and marathon and, and an ultra in there as well too. And and uh, yeah, I've just sort of fallen in love with it um, over the over the years. And um, you know, as you as you can tell, I'm, I'm sort of you know pretty passionate and and and, uh, and enjoy it. And, and so I found myself wanting to be around those people so i sort of just found that over time just my caseload of, of more and more runners because we just talk about running and you know i was passionate about it and wanted to get them back into it and you know we talk about shoes and you know what they're doing and and, and that sort of thing and, and so i've got a real yeah real sort of kick um of working with those people and so when i actually um recently switched um practices so i was previously working in other practice and then i eventually sold out of that practice to start where I'm here because one of those reasons was because I wanted to work with a more active population, whereas previously before it was more a general population but uh, but also with a sports influence, whereas I wanted to have really a predominantly sports-based practice and, and that's why I moved and and um, I've reflected and thought, you know, who do I really enjoy? You know, what what people do I enjoy working with? And and uh, the answer to that was uh, was was runners. Um, and uh, so yeah, found myself sort of being surrounded more and more as we've, we've gone over the uh, over the years. You do get that luxury as you go through your career if you're reflective and um, if you let opportunities come to you and make opportunities happen as well. You do mm. get to these points where you you need to ask yourself, what is it that I, that I actually want to do? Mm. And um, that question was quite obvious to you. But yeah, was, was there a point was. where that was less obvious and you thought obligation to, to do be every, yeah, everyone was, for everything for everyone or, or did I, you always reckon, want to do it do you think no no i no i don't i think that you know there was a i guess being more more generalist i think you know for for a vast majority of my you know even though i was always interested in sports it was probably you know, i've only really sort of you know, built a, a larger caseload of runners in the, in the last sort of five years. Um, I mean, I was always seeing runners before that, but in terms of, you know, picking who I want to work with, um, I think it probably just got, got down to uh, just, you know, I was, I guess, a bit, you know, get content and all you just sort of get stuck in the daily routine of things. It's like, yeah, okay, you know, things are busy, blah, blah, blah. And, and then it's only until you really reflect and think, well, what, what gives me, you know what, what's what's my purpose? What's my vision? What what do I really get enjoyment out of? And it sort of took that reflection to for me to realise, well, that's that's actually where I want to be, and and that's where I, you know, it was quite a big leap at the time to um, to sell out of the practice because things were going very well. It was you know very profitable practice. Things were busy, and and uh, but it just wasn't satisfying for me, and so I had to take that uh, that that plunge. Um, and I'm glad I did, but you know there was some stressful times in in the meantime of you know starting up another practice, but. Um, but I look back on it and it was, you know, one of the best decisions I've, I've, I've ever made in, uh, in my, my practice, uh, practice career mm. to date. It's really valuable to hear other people's experiences of these, mm. um, you know, crossroad decision points mm. in, their, in their life as well. Um, so you, you, one thing about you is you've got this passion for what you do and this enthusiasm. It comes across in your voice and, you know, in, in, I'm sure that you're, you know, anyone that you've worked with at professional development events, but, you know, your patience as well people you work with, I'm sure they, that's one part of what they value in you is not just the, the things you know, it's also the relationship you develop with them. Mm. Um, and a, big, a part of that identity is being a runner and you know, that experience as well. So when you're working with runners, do, do you think you have to be a runner to help, to really help people who run? Absolutely what is, it, is there something deeper than that that you could advise people on? 
Yeah, so so no, there isn't a flat out no. You don't you don't have to be a runner to, to help runners. I think um, certainly having an understanding of of the, the sport um, and an interest in in what they're doing. Um, because I mean, I, I don't exclusively treat runners. As I said, the vast majority of my my active patients are. But you know, I see a lot of field sport athletes. I see you know strongmen strongmen athletes and bodybuilders, and I'm, I'm far from far from one of those. So I would I would snap um, under some of the weight that those guys that those guys are lifting. But I've got a real interest in what they're doing. Like I'm, if like, there's something that I don't don't know you know i don't know what a particular apparatus is i'm like well tell me what that is show me what that is um and and they you know they, they really enjoy that that interest there so no absolutely not as a clinician you don't need to be doing the sport but you just need to you know you have an understanding of it i mean i remember years ago um uh, it was probably 10 years ago now working, or it was actually longer than that, 12 years ago, working with the Victorian water polo team. And I remember turning up to their first training and the coach said to me, he goes, oh, you know, you, you had much to do with water polo players. I'm like, I was honest. I'm like, no, not really, um, but I want to learn. And, uh, you know, so he was, he was, you know, he, was, he had a bit of a laugh and was happy to teach me. And, and it sort of, I, I learned more and more about the demands of that that sport and, and uh, you know, seeing more and more of them over the uh, over the season and over the years. And uh, so I got to, got to know that. So, um, you know, I think being, being honest and upfront with the, the patient that you don't if you don't know something then don't don't be afraid to, to ask them because they don't expect you to be a be an expert in, in all sports um but certainly yeah that that willingness to learn i think goes a, goes a long way um so i think that's that's probably a, a, the, the first thing um the next thing is is uh and particularly runners uh and just actually put a post up on this recently that that um you know lazy health professionals that just sort of say give a blanket or just stop running you know if, if something hurts what are, you, what are you running for you know we've all heard those those stories and and hopefully our listeners have not done that to uh, to, the, to their patients but i mean you could take out running and insert anything you could put gymnastics you could put weights you could you know you could do anything there so it's really you know as much as we can we want to try and keep the the runner running um so that may you know thankfully for for most running injuries uh there's probably barring stress fractures um most running injuries can continue to be run through in some capacity now that may mean that we 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 alter runs we you know we take something out we might temporarily offload them a little bit but if we can sort of try and keep them involved in their sport for as for as much as we can um because we know that uh, and, and also from research that's been done on other sports as well you know it's there's a big it's it's part of their, a lot of their identity you know it's who they identify as you know i'm a runner um my my friends are runners you know we run on the weekends and we, we talk about our lives you know it's it's my it's my my mental outlet and um you know i actually for international running day last year i just surveyed just a handful of our patients and just sort of said well tell me why you run and pretty much 90 percent of them one of the reasons was mental the mental mental release that they that they get and i actually didn't know for, for a couple of them i didn't i didn't know that that's what they were going to say um so i was sort of surprised to hear that um hear that that common theme that um that ran across them um so yeah and even even i you know and you and Sam might be the same as well too when you when you're uh you know you just when you haven't got out for a couple of days for whatever reason you know it works just being flat out and then you just just feeling like up to here and you know they might just say just get out for a run you just need to get out for a run and then you get out there and it's just like ah, you know just that 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 relief that you get to, from from doing it um so as much as we can we really want to try and keep the yeah, keep the runner in, into doing what they what they want um I think there was it was an interesting study actually. Um, uh, Eva Verhagen last year in a study they did a, a qualitative study looking at um, at a group of runners over there, and they they were analysing their approach to injury. and And um, basically, what they found was that runners weren't really concerned about 
you know, lowering their injury risk. They didn't really care about that. So they didn't care about so much injury prevention. They just wanted to, they just wanted to keep running. Um, and that their strategies that they'd try and do is that if they were injured, they'd try and run through it as much as they could. But if they couldn't figure it out, then that's when they needed, that's when they needed help. So I think that our, our role as, as health professionals is to, to keep them, to try and keep them running through as much as, as much as we can, but also educating them as well. And I'm, I'm a big one for that. I, I, I really love to, um, you know, I love the educational side of things of, of you know educating my, my my patients my runners you know whether that's why the injury if if we've been able to identify it, why it may have occurred in the first place and how can we prevent this from from happening again so you know avoid those repeated cycles and those those repeated mistakes um, and I think that you know the, the injury rates are, are, are very high in running and there, there can be a multitude of reasons why that's the case but I think one of the reasons is that running is just so easy to do and and we're never really taught no one's taught how much is too much like you know how how do we gradually build up you know when should we have rest days you know it's what's an adequate progression there and so people just get delved right into it and that's when we see these uh, these overload injuries start to uh, start to come on so, so you see people so as a practitioner and then you're you know, end up, you end up directing them to coaching. Yeah. Yeah. Which is yeah, a lo- the load and the coaching aspect of it is yeah. where it starts. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. Right. And that's why I think, you know, if, if uh, I mean, sometimes you, you know, you, you might find yourself acting as a bit of a coach and, and, and so, you know, those, the, the runners that don't have a plan or don't have a coach, then, then you could be the one to do that. But if it's not in your skill set, then, then, you know, you refer to, to those that, um, that, that do that. Um, so yeah, that's I think you know the, the prime one is really to try and keep those uh, keep those runners going as, as much as possible. And runners love to hear that. You know, one of the first things I'll sort of say to them is I'll say, look, look, this is what's going on. We've got this patellofemoral pain here. The good news with it though is that we can continue to run through this. We're going to might need some, to make some alterations here, but but this is what we're going to this is what we're going to try and do. And only as a last resort will we need to have complete uh, complete rest from it. Mm. So it, to go back to the original question, so you know if you're not a runner. Or you're not mm. a, a water polo um, player, or, or you're not you haven't played football before. You can definitely still help people. You need to mm. number one take an interest in what they do, and you got to be curious and ask them. Show me, tell me, teach me. Yep. W- what is that move? Can you show me? And then you know, don't be lazy and tell people to quit and mm-hmm. keep them involved in their sport. And yep. you can definitely do all of that, regardless of whether you've run yourself or whether you're interested in it. I think that's a really important exactly. point for for people to remember. Mm, um, absolutely. A lot of it's listening and reflecting and listening to the person in front of you and seeing what really, why, you know, what their motivations and interests are, particularly yeah. that mental side of running. It, it, that comes up mm. a lot. Mm. Yeah, it, it mm. really does. And, and that's where I think, yeah, no, no matter what the sport that you're doing is, is trying to keep them involved in it as much as possible. And if that can mean sometimes that, you know, a, a particular runner, you know, there might be a group runner of, of say they're doing 20Ks that particular week and that, that runner can only, you know, can only do 10. We sort of try and work out ways where, you know, whether we start with the group or whether we do the last 10Ks with the group there, but it's sort of just try and keep them involved with their friends because it can be, you know, much like injured field and team sports athletes when they're on the side of the field, you know, doing their rehab and the rest of the team's out there running around, they can feel a bit left out. So uh, try and keep them involved in their running clubs or their or in involved with their friends as, as much as uh, much as we can. We've heard a lot of this before on, on how many episodes we're in, not that many. Mm. Um, there's some really common themes that keep layering up from guest to guest, and but it's, it's great to hear it from you as well, Luke. I'm going to, mm-hmm. um, the listeners are probably just getting into this and they're not going to like me for this, but we're going to <laughs> pause there and then next week for listeners and in a few minutes for us because we're batch recording this. 
We're going to come yes. back and talk. We're going to get pick right back up on that thread and go into your philosophies and approaches and perhaps a bit more specifics of how you help people with running injuries following on from some of those ideas you've just had then. Um, just quickly, so people can catch up if they haven't met you before, if they haven't seen any of your work, where can people follow you online and um, yeah. find out more about you? Yeah, so probably most active throughout through Instagram these days at uh, just at, at Sports Cairo Luke, uh, also on Twitter as well too. So I, I sort of use the, the two platforms for different things, and and uh, but that's probably the best way. Otherwise, people are more than happy to to email me as well, Luke at healthhp.com.au. Really good way to keep you know, your professional development going when you've got five mm. minutes spare. You can jump on too, and it depends <laughs> on the quality of the people you're following. That's but if right. you follow yes. follow Luke, you'll have some high quality <laughs> stuff coming out. Um, <laughs> I really enjoyed the chat. Thanks very much for part one, Luke, and we'll pick up at this next week or in a few minutes. Awesome. Thanks, Luke. 